You're listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both blessed and challenged by this teaching. have your Bibles, you can open them to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Many of you know that Dave and I have seven children, and and our children, all but Kendall, are now grown and out of the home, and I miss having them. When you have nine people in a a pastor's house, you know, it's a small, we have a small home, and so to have nine people, nine growing children in a pastor's house, it's noisy all the time. There's never any silence, and so when they all moved out, it suddenly, the silence became deafening in our home, and and so for the longest time, I would even have to go to Starbucks to, to study because I need noise around me. I was so used to noise. And, and so I miss having them all at home. There is nothing this mama loves more than having all seven of my children back under the same roof again. And that doesn't happen very often because they're spread all throughout the United States. But, but I will tell you that when they all get together, I love it. And they were all home a number of summers ago. And, and I always, when they all get together, I try to do something special that we can all enjoy together. And this particular time, we went to Noah's Ark. Now, you have all been, I'm sure, or at least heard about Noah's Ark. It's a, a, an outdoor water park, and, and I loved nothing more. I would station myself at the bottom of the water slides, and I would just wait for my children to come shooting out of those water slides, and I just loved it. Mamas, you will understand this. I love nothing more than seeing the joy on their face and the laughter, watching each of them come out of that tube, and, and it just made my mama's heart delight. And, and one particular time, I was sitting at the bottom of the water slide, and I was watching every person coming shooting out of the water slide. I was waiting for my kids. Are you following me? And so I I had an eye on every person coming out of that slide and I couldn't help but notice one particular person when she came out, she was wearing a bikini and she had a flat little tiny belly but that was not what caught my eye. What caught my eye is the tattoo that she had on her belly. It was, and I'll date myself here, but, but some of you will remember this when you were a little girl. Do you remember taking a, an ink pad and stamping your fist on it and then putting it on a piece of paper and dotting the little toes and making a baby foot? Are, are you following me? Well, she had two of those tattooed on her flat little belly. And over the top of that tattoo, it said, in memory of so-and-so. And my heart grieved when I saw that because my husband and I, we lost a child in between sweet little Kendall and, and her older sister. And, and that's why there, there was Kendall's 14, her next youngest sister. Uh, next, my next youngest child is 24. So there's 10 years there. We lost a child in between Kendall and Brooke. And so my heart was grieved and it was more pain than I can even tell you. And, and so I understand the pain of losing a child. And so my heart broke for her when I saw this. I, I knew that, that she had been through a pain that was, was so hurtful, that was so traumatic, that she chose to mark herself with a permanent reminder of that pain. And the next person that came out of the water slide must have been her husband because he had the very same tattoo right here under his arm. And I thought to myself, isn't that ironic that they would both choose to mark themselves in the area where they carried that child, her, in her on her belly, in her womb, and him underneath his arm. 
And as I looked at them, I thought, how interesting that they chose to permanently mark themselves with the reminder of their pain. It was an outward reminder of the pain that they carried inwardly. And as I watched them that day, I I, I thought about you and I, I thought about the people that I minister to every weekend and how so often, you see, something had happened in their life that was so painful that they chose to mark themselves with a reminder of that pain. And I wonder how many people sitting here tonight or sitting and able to hear my voice, I wonder how many people have chosen to mark themselves with a reminder of something so traumatic and something so painful that they've been through in their life, that they have a permanent reminder in their their life about something that they've had to endure maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago. You see, she could have lost that child 10 years ago, but she still had that constant reminder of the pain, staring her in front of the in front of her eyes day after day after day can you imagine every morning she goes to the mirror to get dressed she sees that tattoo that reminder of what she the pain she had to endure when i saw that tattoo all i could think about was the scripture in isaiah 49 1 if you have your bibles turn to that passage isaiah 49 verse 16 can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born. Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands, and your walls are ever before me. I I just love that. Do you know what that word means, engraved? He says, see, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Do you know what that word is in the original language? Tattooed. (laughs) He's tattooed us on the palm of his hand. (laughs) He's chosen to permanently mark himself with the reminder of you and I. Does anybody know what's on the, the palm of his hands? Nail scar. That's exactly right. He was scarred so that we didn't have to be. He was wounded so that we could be healed. Do you understand that he has permanently marked himself with the reminder of us? I love the scripture that says that we are the apple of God's eye. Oh, I just love that scripture. Do you know what the apple of the eye is? It's the pupil of the eye. It's the part of the eye that gives focus. And and when he says that you are the apple of my eye, he's saying that you are always in the center of my focus. (laughs) Do you know that his eye is always on you? Oh, do you just love it? Do you love how important you are to him? He's engraved you on the palm of his hand. That apple of the eye scripture gets even better because there's another scripture that says, whoever touches you touches the apple of my eye. Do you you love that? Did you ever poke yourself in the eye? It hurts, doesn't it? You are the apple of God's eye. And whoever touches you touches the apple of God's eye. You know what? That person that hurt you, You don't have to stay angry with them. You can just walk away and say, oh, baby girl, you just touched the apple of God's eye. Would not want to be you for anything in this whole wide world. Do you understand who you are? He says, see, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands, and here's my favorite part, and your walls are ever before me. Oh, I I just, I love that, because you see, when we have been through something so traumatic, when we've been wounded, and we've been permanently marked by it, the temptation to put up a wall and protect yourself is always there, is it not? 
Hurt me once, shame on you. Hurt me twice, shame on me. Uh, don't, don't pretend like you're super spiritual and you've never done that. How many of you have ever said, I've been rejected, I don't ever want to be hurt like that again, I need to protect myself. Or I've been wounded so deeply, the people who I should have been able to trust to protect me hurt me instead and I will never be that foolish again. I'm going to put up a wall to protect myself. Oh, they're not always conscious, but they're subconscious. And here's the thing about walls. Walls are not a respecter of persons. If I put up a wall to protect myself from Whitney, I I'm also going to protect myself from Kelly because walls are not a respecter of persons. And if I put up a wall to protect myself from Whitney and Kelly, I'm also going to be protecting myself from God because walls are not a respecter of persons. He says, your walls are ever before me. I, I love that he's familiar with my walls. I, I might be fooling everybody else, but God is familiar with my walls. A number of years ago, Leslie and I were, were praying early in the morning, and she would come over like at 4.30 or 5 in the morning, and I would get up prior to her coming, and, and I would be in the Word. And, and that morning I had been studying in Lamentations, and it says that, that, that God has determined, oh, I love that word, God has determined to tear down the walls around the daughter of Zion. Do you know who the daughter of Zion is? It's us. It's God's people. And I love that he says, God has determined to tear down the walls around the daughter of Zion. I am a determined woman. Can I just tell you? Just tell me that I can't do something and watch me. When I make up my mind to do something, watch out. I am a determined woman. Woman. And if I am determined as, a, as a, a human being, as a woman, if I can be like that when I get determined, what must God be like when He gets determined? He says that the sovereign Lord has determined to tear down the walls around the daughter of Zion. That morning when Leslie came over to pray, I said to her, Les, do you think I have any walls in my life? And she started to giggle, and that just made me mad because I will tell you, I'm, I really do not hide anything in my life. What you see is what you get. If you like it, great. If not, rock on with your bad self. I really don't care. I, I really am secure in who I am. I don't need your approval. I know that I'm approved by God. I know I'm accepted by God. Go ahead and reject me. I really don't care. I'm going to love you anyway because my value and my worth is not determined by you. And so it's a free place to be. So I can be as, cor as corny as I want to be. I can be a, a nut job if I want to be. I, I can be flaky if I want to be. I really don't care if that's what you think about me. Because I know the truth. And so I really think I'm an open book. What you see is what you get. I'm not afraid to share my testimony. I'm not afraid to share my junk. You see, there's freedom in that. <laughs> But so when Leslie said that she thought maybe I might have some walls, that really, that really puzzled me. <laughs> and so I said, well, I'll tell you what, friend, let's, let's begin to pray this morning that if we have any walls in our life, that we're going to give God permission to tear them down. Oh, my goodness. Risky prayer. Don't be praying that hap hap haphazardly because I'm going to tell you he listens. And, and he is a gentleman. He will not go where he's not invited. But you invite him in and he gets determined. Watch out. I wonder if there's anybody here tonight living behind some walls. Walls that you think are actually protecting you. But they're isolating you. Walls that you think, I don't ever want to hurt like that again. 
I need to stay safe. Oh, precious one, can I tell you, He is your protector. He is your defender. He is your very present help in times of trouble. The Bible says that He wants to be a wall of fire around you, that He wants you to be a wallless city, and He wants to be a wall of fire around you. Do you know how shepherds would protect their their sheep in, in Bible times? They would build a wall of fire around them at night so they could go to sleep and they didn't have to worry about the wolves penetrating that wall of fire. And so when God says, I want you to be a wallless city and I'll be a wall of fire around you, what he's saying is you can trust me to bring down those walls. Well, you can trust me to protect you because I am going to be a wall of fire around you. You are safe with him. I wonder... How many of you have been marked by pain? I wonder how many of you every day have a permanent reminder etched in your memory, etched in your heart of what you had to endure maybe 20 or 30 years ago, maybe last week. And it marked you so much that it is forever affecting your life. Oh, can I just tell you what? God wants to heal that and set you free. I love the scripture (laughs) that says that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Do you know what was lost? People say, well, we were lost in sin. That's exactly right, but here's what was lost. The image of God was lost in us. In the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned and they got separated from God, the image of God, the likeness of God got marred by sin and it was lost until Jesus came seeking and saving that which was lost. He came to rescue that and bring wholeness back to it. I love that he knew we were lost. We didn't know we were lost. And he came seeking and saving us because he knew exactly where to find us. We didn't realize that we were lost. We didn't realize that it had been distorted. But he came to restore it. And he wants to do some restoration in this place tonight. But here's the question. Will you allow him to do it? Are you tired enough of the place that you're living that you will allow him to come in and begin that restoration process. Begin tearing down and demolishing walls that you thought were protecting yourself. Begin healing those wounds that the enemy meant for evil, and he'll turn them around and use them for good if you let him. Will you let him begin restoring to, to, to save that which was lost? If you have your Bibles, turn over to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. There's Acts and then there's Romans. If you get to Romans, you've gone too far. Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, and I love that, every place that you read certain man or certain woman in the Bible, we see it over and over in these narratives where they say there was a certain man there. That that word certain means a specific somebody. It it means somebody of great importance. Can I just tell you, you are a certain man or you are a certain woman to him tonight. He sees you. I don't care if you're in this room filled with people. He sees you. He sees your individual need. You are a certain someone to him. You are of great importance and great value to him. Do you know that he calls you his treasured possession? 
He takes great delight in the possession of you. There was a certain man, and he was lame from his mother's womb. And he was carried and laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him, with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting. Oh, I wonder if anybody came here tonight expecting. Are are you expecting the Lord to show up in your situation? Are you expecting? I think we've lost our expectancy, church. This man was expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I just bet he was. This man was crippled from birth. He was lame from his mother's womb. You see, we meet him as an adult man. But what had happened to him, what left him crippled, reached way, 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 way back into his childhood. The thing that left him crippled reached way back. The thing that left him crippled, he had no control over. He could do nothing to help that. Some of you are here tonight, and you've been left crippled because of something reaching way, way, way back in your childhood. Maybe you've been left lame because of something that happened years and years and years ago. Maybe as a little boy. Maybe as a little girl. And it's left you crippled and lame as a result. This man was carried. He was carried and laid by that gate daily to ask for alms, to beg. Oh, I just want to tell you, I wonder who is carrying you. Who you are expecting to carry you. Who you are expecting to help you exist and get by. Can I just tell you, if it's anybody other than Jesus, you are putting your expectations in the wrong person. And they will fail you. If you put your hope in anything other than God, that will always disappoint. I promise you. The Bible says that those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. You can put your hope in Him. He will not disappoint you. But so often our expectation and our hope is in somebody else. Maybe if I just had a better husband. Maybe if my wife was more, well, was more sweet and kind. Maybe if I had a good friend I could call. Maybe if I had children I would be happy. No, can I just tell you, no man will ever love you enough. I got the best. And he still doesn't do it for me. No child will ever love you enough. I have seven of them. It's a perfect number. It means completion. And trust me, it doesn't do it for you. You you will never be successful enough. You will never have enough money in the bank. When you finally get the house you think you want, you're just going to want somebody to clean it for you. You will never be young enough. Trust me, I look in the mirror and I think, oh my goodness, what happened? I don't feel that old. And Lancome, guys, you don't understand this. We spend a lot of money as women on products like this. Lancome doesn't do it anymore. Pastor Briscoe has no idea how much I spend on wrinkle cream. And it doesn't work. You see, when you put your expectation in anything other than Jesus, 
it will always disappoint. This man was carried and laid daily by the gate called Beautiful to beg. Oh, I just love that he's a beggar. I, because I'm just going to tell you, we minister every single week, and I know people. Can I, can I tell you, we have prayer line after prayer line, and there are just some people that want to just tell their story. They're really not coming expecting anything. They're not coming expecting God to change them. They just want to tell their story for the umpteenth millionth time. Can I just tell you what happened to me when I was a little girl? Oh, I'm not trying to minimize pain. Trust me I've had more than my share but here's what I have finally gotten I can choose to stay stuck I can choose to be pitiful or I can choose to be powerful I can choose to be a victim or I can choose to be a victor but I am not going to stay crippled anymore we look for excuses to stay that way this man's History, T.D. Jake says this, this man's history was affecting his destiny. And God says, my history should be affecting your destiny. And see, some of you are crippled. You're crippled with bitterness. You're crippled with anger. You're crippled with hatred. You're, you're, you're crippled with, with, with pity me, woe is me, I have a bad life. You're crippled with, ang- with anxiety and fear. And can I just tell you what? God says that my history should be affecting that destiny, that he died so that we could be more than overcomers, so that we could always walk in triumph and victory. And if you're stuck tonight, it's a choice. He says, I've set before you life and death. Some of you are sitting crippled by the wayside saying, if this hadn't happened, I wouldn't be like this. Everything you need for life and godliness has been given to you. We make the choice. You see, I can preach identity till I'm blue in the face, but if you don't get this one, if you don't understand that what happened to you 30 years ago doesn't define you, if you understand that the man who walked out on you for for a younger woman doesn't define you, when you understand that it's your job that you've been let go of and you're the provider for your home and you take it seriously, but can I just tell you, unless you understand that job doesn't define you, you will always be crippled. That man who walked in your bedroom when you were a little girl does not define you. God defines you. God defines you. I told you this last week, Do you know how they they determine the value of art? This just rocks my world every time. I, I think about the Mona Lisa. There is nothing in me. Do you know how much that piece of art is worth? But there, I would not pay $5 for that thing. I wouldn't. And I would never hang it in my house. Even if somebody gave it to me, I wouldn't do it. I just don't like it. I, I just don't know why it's worth that much money. But do you know why it is? Do you know how you determine the value of art? By the price that somebody's willing to pay for it. Can I tell you how valuable you are? Because of the price that somebody, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, was willing to pay for you. Oh my goodness, dear ones, why are we allowing what happened to us 30 years ago from a broken person put value on us or de- de- decrease our value? You know how valuable you are to God. That He would send His only Son to die for you. 
This man was put there every day by this gate called Beautiful to beg. Looking for alms to just get by. Looking for something to just exist. Just let me just keep existing. Let me just get by one more day. And see, some of you are in that place in your life where you think, I just need to get through one more day. I just need to make it through today. I'm not looking for victory. I'm not looking for overcoming power. I just need to get through today. Oh, can I tell you, there is so much more. There is so much more. He was placed every day by this gate called beautiful. And I just love that. Uh, Everything that I read about it, it must have really been beautiful. The the commentators say that it was a 75-foot wall uh, gate and it was of Corinthian bronze. Can you imagine? And it was etched and and designed and it was, I guess it was just breathtaking. And and I think about how it got its name. Can you just imagine, what are we going to call it? I don't know, but man, is it beautiful. Yeah, 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 but what are we going to call it? I don't know, but look how beautiful it is. I just, can you imagine how beautiful it must have been that they couldn't even come up for another, with another name except beautiful? Let's just call it the gate called beautiful. It must have been breathtaking. And that man was placed by that gate every single day. He was crippled. From birth. It's, it's all he ever knew. You see, some of you, you're crippled and it's all you've ever known. It's your normal. It's your normal to be angry. Your mom was angry before you and her mother before her. It's just your normal to be crippled with anger. It's just your normal to be crippled with gossip. It's what your family does. It's what your friends do. It's all you've ever known. It's just your normal to be crippled with with control because it's how you keep yourself safe. And can I just tell you, He didn't die for you to stay crippled. It's time to get a new normal. And He was placed every day by this gate called Beautiful. And I want you to think about it. This crippled man. Well, when I was writing the sermon, I wrote in my notes, I wonder if he felt defective. I wonder tonight if there's anybody here that feels defective. Uh, maybe you're crippled, maybe you're lame, maybe you have, you've been so marked with pain and heartache that, that you are just left feeling defective. I, I wonder if there are anybody, there's anybody here tonight that feels like they're defective, like they're so flawed that there's no hope for them. Oh, I know that you're far more spiritual than I am, but there have been times in my life that I have felt defective, like there's something wrong with me where you just wait and you expect somebody to reject you because everybody else already has. Or you expect somebody to leave you because everybody else has. I wonder if anybody here has ever felt defective. What struck me is that he is surrounded by beauty. The gate called beautiful. Every day he's staring at beauty and he's probably feeling defective. I wrote in my notes, I wonder if it made him feel more aware of his imperfections surrounded by all that beauty. Have you ever been in that place where everybody that surrounds you looks like they're all that in a bag of potato chips and you feel like a failure? Or everybody else's marriage looks great, but yours is broken, or everybody else's finances are are, are just booming and yours are in the red, or everybody else's children look perfect, but yours are the ones that are struggling. I wonder if you've ever been in a place where you're surrounded by beauty, but so aware of your own perfection. 
I told you that I'm a visual learner. I, I always talk about that on Monday nights. If, if I can flesh something out in front of me, often when I don't understand a scripture, I will say to the Lord, Lord, can you just flesh that out in front of me because I'm a visual learner. Give me a picture that I can, I can make, uh, that I can draw parallels to and, and it, it really works for me. And, and so when I was writing this sermon, I wrote, I wonder if they felt, if he felt like he was defective. And I had just been at Best Buy, and this was a number of years ago, and, and I, I like to shop the, the end caps because that's where their sales, sale merchandise is. And, and I had been looking at uh, some sale things at Best Buy, and one of the things that caught my eye was a um, DVD player, I think it was, or a CD player. And and, and it had this white sticker on the top of it, and it was this big white sticker with black letters, and it said, Defective Merchandise. And it was marked way down in price. And, and I just had to chuckle because I'm thinking Best Buy, not one of your best marketing strategies. It's an electronic, and it's marked in big, bold letters, Defective Merchandise. And even if the price is right, a pa- even a pastor's wife isn't going to take that bait. I'm just telling you. And, and so I had just laughed about that and left. And then when I was writing this sermon, I thought, I need a visual. I, I need to go back to Best Buy and get me one of those stickers that say defective merchandise. Because I thought, can you just imagine if I, had a, if I had that sticker and held it up and said, anybody ever feel like this? Defective merchandise. I, I just wanted it. And so I got in my car and I drove to Best Buy and and I'm telling you, I'm a preacher. I will find a pulpit wherever, you, wherever I can make one. And so I go to the service counter and I say, I'm a preacher and I'm preaching on, on being crippled. I wonder, did you ever feel crippled? Oh, she said, you have no idea. And I said, so you understand. I was here a couple weeks ago and I saw this sticker that said defective merchandise. And, and I said, I would really like to have one of those stickers so I could hold it up in front of the people I'm preaching to and say, have you ever felt like this? And, and she said, oh, let me get the manager. And and the manager comes out and he says, oh, ma'am, I'm sorry, we've discontinued those stickers. And I'm like, good thing, Best Buy. Not a, not a smart marketing deal. And he said, but we have some other ones you might be interested in. And he said, this one says obsolete software. <laughs> I'm like, I got to have that one because the older I get, the more obsolete I feel. And this one was my favorite, return to vendor. Because <laughs> sometimes, I know, I, know, I know you're with me here, sometimes... I just think, just return me to vendor, Lord. I, I just too messed up to, to keep going. And, and he said, you know, I don't, I don't have any defective merchandise labels. He said, but I was at Office Max the other day. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going. Office Max, you know, I was in Delafield. It's right next door to, to, to Best Buy. And so I go over to Office Max and I go to the counter and I'm like, I'm the preacher. And I'm preaching on um, being crippled. I wonder, did you ever feel crippled? And she's like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, so I tell her my story and and I said, you know, I talked to the manager at Best Buy, and he said that you have these stickers. And she said, we do. And I'm like, Skrrr! And then she brings this one, defective. And I was like, that's way too little. His was big with black letters. And, and, and she said, well, you know what? I was at Target. <laughs> if I'm lying, I'm dying. This is the honest to God's true story. And, and Target's across the street. So I'm like, I'm going. I get in my car, and I drive over to Target. And you know how they have that big service desk there. And I went in, and, and I, I asked for the manager, because now I'm not wasting any time. I'm going straight to the manager. And, and I say, you know, I tell her my story. And she gets this big cardboard box out, and she sits it up on the counter. And she said, you know, I don't think we have those anymore. And, and she's going through all these labels, and really good labels. And and finally she gets to the bottom of the box and she has a label in her hand and she's talking to me and waving her hand 
with this label. And, and she said, you know, I'm sorry, we don't have that label anymore, and I really wish I could help you. And I'm going like this because I'm trying to read the label that's on her hand. And I said, is there any way I could have a copy of that label? And she said, I don't understand, ma'am. She said, you came in here for a defective merchandise label. And this one says salvage. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, I came in here to find a label that told God how I feel about me. And he's sending me out with a label that tells me how he feels about me. That Rhea, I know she feels broken. I, I know she feels beyond repair. I know she feels crippled. But I look down and I see somebody who is do you know that there is nothing that you have ever been through? There is nothing that's ever been done to you. There's no decision you've made. There's no choice you've done that, that can ever, ever put you outside the love of Christ. Do you know that He died so He could fix what's been broken in your life? Do you know that He wants to make you more than an overcomer? And you and I can choose to stay crippled by the roadside, begging, just trying to exist, just trying to get by. Pity party of one, look how bad my life is. But I'm telling you what, we have a choice. Jesus is in the house and He wants to fix what's broken. He wants to break through the bondages in your life. He wants to repair and restore and renew and He is able. He is able. He is able. You see, it's not about you fixing it. It's not about you fixing it. It's about you getting under the spout where the glory comes out. Getting in His presence. You see, that, that's what grace is. We, we preach grace, but we so cheapen the grace. You see, grace is God's enabling power at work within us. You see, God sends His grace because what, what He wants you to do is He wants you to begin to believe who He says you are. He wants you to begin to see yourself the way He sees you. He wants you to begin to realize that you are a son and a daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He wants you to begin to understand your great worth and value. He wants you to understand that. And then He gives you the grace to walk out who He says you are. He gives that to you. But you see what we do? We allow circumstances and people to potter us, to form us, to mold us into the image that they want us to be. No wonder we're broken. Why do we do that? Why do we accept what, what this person says about us? Or this person, why, why they were disappointed because we didn't live up to their expectation. Can I tell you, you're living up to God's expectation. He is pleased with you. There aren't any expectations. He knows who you are and He is madly in love with you. You don't have to please Him. He's already pleased with you. But we allow what happened that 30, 20, 10 years ago to cripple us. And everything we do flows out of that, that lie versus understanding who we are in Christ, who He says we are, how He sees us, the potential He knows He put inside of us. Do you understand? He created us. 
He knit us together. Before we were ever born, He called us. He put a potential and a destiny in us that only we could walk out. He knows what's in us, and He believes in what He put in us. It's time, church, that we start believing what He put in us instead of what Susie down the street says about us, instead of what Sam at work says about us. Oh, how we could change the world if we started to do that. You have a choice. Will you sit by the roadside begging, going through life crippled? Let's talk about the things that cripple us. Let's just talk. Just go ahead and yell them out. Anger, unforgiveness, bitterness, comparison, jealousy. Jealousy is a good one. Fear of failure. Fear, anxiety, worry, envy. I'm sorry? Not fitting in. Fear of rejection. Vanity. Pride. (laughs) Abandonment. Come on, there's more. Oppression, depression, guilt, discontent. I'm sorry? Betrayed. Betrayal. Oh. Being different. Shame. Disgrace. Regret. Fear of loss. Look how easy that was for us to come up with this long list. Probably because we can identify. Probably because there's so many of us crippled by those things tonight. Words cripple us, don't they? Things that have been spoken over us cripple us. And we have a choice. Will you remain that way? Or will you begin to understand that He is able to deliver? That He is able to heal, to restore to renew and to redeem everything that you've been through. Here's the rest of the story, and I love it. So this man is crippled by the wayside, and he's asking everybody that comes by for alms. He just wants to exist. His friends have actually put him in that place and are encouraging him to just keep existing that way. Friends, can I tell you, friends don't let friends stay stuck. Friends call friends up higher. Friends speak truth in love. Friends encourage and exhort. They don't join pity parties. So Peter and John are coming by and they're going up at the hour of prayer. And and, and the word says that he asked them for alms. And in the original language, it means it's a reiterated appeal that he uses all the time. It's become his normal. It's, it's, It's all that ever comes out of his mouth. He's stuck. And he asked Peter and John for alms, and Peter looks at him and he says, look at us. It always bothered me. That part of the story has always bothered me. Because I was like, why? Why He's asking you for alms. Obviously, he is looking at you. (laughs) But here's what I think. He wasn't even expecting. He's just asking because it's what he does, and he doesn't, nobody ever comes through for him. Nobody ever gives him what he thinks he needs, and they're going to ignore him anyway, and so he's just lost hope. And there's some of you tonight that are sitting crippled and you've lost hope that you can ever be anything different. 
And Peter says, look at us, and I love it. He gets down on his face, look at us. I think he got in his face and said, look at me. In other words, you are so focused on yourself. You're so focused on your circumstances. You're so focused on what's going on around you. I got something for you to hear. What you want to hear, what I'm going to say to you, look at me. And some of you, that's where you're at tonight. You're so focused on your brokenness. You're so focused on what's crippling you. You're so focused on your coulda, woulda, shouldas. You're so focused on your regret and what you wish you hadn't done. Can I just tell you what? Look at me because you want to hear what I have to say. Peter said, silver and gold I don't have. I don't have what you think you're looking for. I don't have what you think is going to satisfy you temporarily. I don't have it. But what I do have. I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he says, get up and walk. Get up and walk. That word walk, it means a continuous moving ahead. It means making progression, moving forward. It doesn't mean you're going back to that place of crippledness. Can I tell you what? We need to start walking, church. We need to start progressing and moving forward in sanctification. We need to start moving forward and looking more like Jesus, being more like Jesus, uh, displaying the image of Christ in our life. We need to leave what's behind. The Word says that no man who puts his hand to the, to, to the uh, plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. We need to put our hand to the plow and look back. I am not looking about what's behind me. I am pressing on to the goal that's set before me. It's time, church, that we leave what, what's lying behind. I'm not trying to minimize your pain. I'm trying to maximize your hope. That does not define you. That person was broken that hurt you. Forgive them for being broken. And move on. That situation can only define you if you let it. You can choose to be defined by the truth. I have a good friend who, who, who was a part of a, a support group and, and that support group served her well for a while. But she said, Rhea, they, they call it, let's tell me your story. What's your story? And she said, and we would rehearse and we'd go back over everything that had ever happened to us and all the pain in our life and we would replay it week after week after week. And I said to her, do you understand that that is not your story? It's what happened to you. It's not what defines you. It's unfortunate. It stinks. You had to endure it. You lived through it. But I'm telling you what, it is not your story. Your story is that you're a new creation and the old is gone and the new has come. Your story is that you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Your story is that there is hope in Christ and you are more than you are a victor in Him. Your story is that it is for freedom that you've been set free and don't you dare go back and let a yoke of slavery be put on you again. That is slavery, living crippled by the wayside. It is for freedom that you've been set free. Don't choose to go back and be yoked to that garbage anymore. Anytime you won't forgive somebody, you are yoked to them through unforgiveness. I don't know about you, but the people who have hurt me, I have no desire to be yoked to them. Quite frankly, there are a few that I want pretty far away from because they'll just hurt me again. We make a choice. We make a choice. The word forgive means to cut them loose. <laughs> I love it. Silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. I love that he doesn't say, just get up and walk. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I, 
I love this. Do, do you know how much power there is in the name of Jesus? Do you, I, you know the scripture that says, do not take the name of the Lord in vain? Do you know that scripture? I used to think that that meant don't, don't use that as a cuss word. I love the brewers. Anybody here love the brewers besides me, even if they did just blow it? I still love the brewers. I'm a diehard brewers fan. And Dave and I love to go to the games, but I was telling you what, uh, sometimes I just won't close my ears. I want to turn around and say, do you have any idea that my husband is a pastor? Because they use the name of Jesus in vain. Are you with me? And I used to think that that's what that scripture meant. Do not use the name of the Lord in vain. I thought it meant to use it as a cuss word, and I still do think it means that. But do you know if you look at that in the original language, do you know what that word means? It means don't take, make the name of the Lord void of power. I'll never forget the day that I saw that, and the Lord said to me, Rhea, when you pray over somebody and you pray over them in my name, don't you dare think that name is void of power. When you're using my name, Bria, you believe it's going to work because my name is not void of power. Do you understand? Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Get up and walk. Peter knew that, that his power lied in, in, in Jesus. It had, he had nothing to do with any of it. In fact, later on in this story, he said, why are you looking at us like we did something? It has nothing to do with us. It was the name of the Lord. It was the Jesus you crucified, and he says, the Prince of Life. You crucified the Prince of Life. Can I tell you, he is the Prince of Life. Some of you are here tonight, and you are depressed, you are hopeless, you are lifeless, and can I just tell you, my Jesus is your only life. He is your source of life, and if you're looking for life from anybody else, you are going to be disappointed. Take it from me. Don't wait till you're my age to get this. My husband is upstairs. I'm telling you that man rocks. He is the best there is, but he is not my source of life. He can't give it to me. And if I'm looking to him for it, I will suck him dry. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. I have the most precious little thing sitting here. There couldn't be a better daughter than this one right here. But if I am looking to life from her, she's going to grow up and get married and leave my house. And what am I going to do? He is my only source of life. Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, there's power. I just have to tell you this story. A friend of mine, some of you have heard this before, a friend of mine and I were shopping at Pleasant Prairie outlet stores a number of years ago. And I had one of those purses on that was cut across my shoulder, just, you know, went across my shoulder, a small strap. And I went to pay for something in the outlets, and I realized I didn't have my wallet, that somebody had cut the strap and stole my wallet. I didn't even feel it. And, and I was like, ah, oh, I can't believe somebody just did that to me. I mean, don't steal from me. I will give you the shirt off my back. Just ask me for it. I will give it to you. You don't have to steal from me. And so it bothered me. I was like, Lord, I can't even believe somebody just did that to me. And I just thank you, Lord, that you know exactly where they are. And I'm asking you, Lord, to just make them get discovered. And, and so I called, my, I called my credit card company and I said, you know, my wallet has just been stolen and the credit card was in it. And she said, well, are you using that credit card right now? And I'm like, I, I just told you that my credit card has been stolen. And she said, well, it's being used right now at Perfume Mania. And I'm like, oh, where is Perfume Mania? 
And they said it was just around the corner. And I hop in my car, and I threw that thing in reverse, and I'm like, I'm going to perfume mania. And, and I step on the gas, and then she says, oh, Tommy Hilfiger, $389. And I'm like, ah, I can't even believe somebody's doing this to me. And they're ringing it up so quickly. And so Tommy Hilfiger was right beside perfume mania, and I'm just gunning it. And, and then the, the little credit card lady says to me, she says, oh, um, Oshkosh Bagosh. And it was this astronomical amount of money. And I'm like, I can't believe somebody's buying clothing for their children on my stolen credit card, and I'm pretty ticked. And then all of a sudden, my girlfriend looks up, and she says, there they are. And she remembered them from the store we were in because he was really super tall, and his wife was just really short and tiny. And, and so, you know, I'm a little impulsive sometimes, and I don't even remember putting my car in park. If I'm lying, Dave, if I'm lying, I'm dying. This is how it happened. I don't even remember putting my car in park, and I have my phone still in my hand, and I jump out of my car, and I look down at their bags, and there was a Tommy Hilfiger, a perfume mania, and Oshkosh Bagosh. And I get out, and I really don't know what came over me, and I said, Satan, in the name of Jesus, I command you to give me back my wallet. And he froze. And all the people that were gathering around called the police on Ria. <laughs> and his wife backs away, and he's like, she's like, honey, she's a lunatic. And I'm like, I think I might be. And, and for a moment I thought, I can't believe what just came out of my mouth. And I'm holding my finger like this, and, and he said, did you just call me Satan? And I said, I said you're under the influence of Satan, and you have my wallet. And in the name of Jesus, I command you to give it back to me. And, and he just stays there. And then all of a sudden, I hear some rustling behind me, and my girlfriend was still in the car, and so I think his wife is maybe doing something to her, and I turn to make sure she was okay. And, and in the meantime, this man starts running across the parking lot. Now I know he has my wallet. And so I yell after him, and I say, you might have my wallet, but I've got Jesus, and I wouldn't want to be you for anything in this world. And, and then my girlfriend says, the police are on their way. And I'm like, I'm going for my wallet. They're not here yet. And I jump in my car and I go up over the curb because they're speeding out of the parking lot. I go up over the curb and I go flying after this car. Starsky and Hutch. I'm like, I'm getting there. And I like gunned it. And they're, they're not getting away with this. And, and so I'm like, so I'm on their tail. And my girlfriend's like, Ria, the police are telling you to pull over. Pull the car. I said, I'm not pulling over. I don't see any police officers. And she's like, Rhea, pull the car over. And I pull the car over, and these six police cars go flying by me. And I'm like, there's no way I'm missing this one. And I pull the car back on to the road. And just as I do, this car does a U-turn right in front of me, pulls right in front of me, does a U-turn. Well, it was an off-duty police officer who just happened to be there shopping that day, and he saw the guy throw my wallet out the window, and he knew where to find my wallet. Can I just tell you, I got my wallet back. I got all the credit card debt paid. There was a $50 bill in my wallet in that man's front pocket, and I got that back. And so I pull up behind the police officers, and, and there are now six squad cars with police officers. Are now they're all standing around the car, and they're kind of laughing, and I, I know exactly what they're laughing about. And, <laughs> and so we're sitting, and we're just thinking, what just happened here? And, and this police officer comes up, and he taps on my window, and he says, ma'am, I'm going to need you to fill out a report. And I start to laugh and I say, do you want me to include the Satan in the name of Jesus? Or should I just leave that out? 
But it turns out that they had been looking for that man for six weeks. He had been coming back to that very same outlet week after week after week doing the very same thing and they couldn't catch him. And the last words he heard me say was, you might have my wallet, but I've got Jesus and I wouldn't want to be you for anything in this world. Do you know that there is power in the name of Jesus? There's power in the name of Jesus. So Peter and John say to this man, uh, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. And the Word says that Peter took him by the right hand. I love that. Anybody besides me love that. Uh, you see, the right hand's important. Where does Jesus sit? At the right hand of the Father. It's the, the right side is the side of power. It's the side of authority. It's the side of victory. I love that Peter was intentional about taking him by the right hand. You see, this man was crippled from, from birth. He never knew anything but crippledness. It was his normal. It was all he ever knew. So the idea that he could get up and walk, I'm sure he was thinking... Peter, dear, if, if I could have gotten up and walked, don't you think I would have done it by now? What do you mean, get up and walk? And Peter says, here's my right hand. He was so confident in what he had just said. He was so sure that he was going to get up and walk. I, is Pastor Rosalind here tonight? Is she here? No. Pastor Rosalind, I just, this story's coming through my head, so I just want to tell it real quickly, and I promise I'm finishing. Um, some of you know that I had a big... A piece of skin cancer removed from my forehead and I, I didn't even tell anybody when it first happened because I was so confident that God was going to heal it and and it wasn't just skin cancer it was skin cancer that had invaded the nerve and it was serious business and I was going to have to have radiation treatments and it was just bad news and every doctor I went to told me it was bad news but I was just not going to receive that I, I really believed that God could heal me and long story short the doctor went in the, the radiation appointments were set up. The doctor went in to get him, couldn't even find the tumor, uh, couldn't find any nerve invasion. Sent, he, he was just stunned by it because we had said, we believe that the Lord's going to heal us. And, you know, he pretty much laughed at us. But, but he comes back into the room after he tries to find this tumor and cuts me open and is looking for it and, and didn't find it. And, and he said, Rhea, I have to just take one more layer. And the layer is an insurance layer. And he said, we have to send it out to, to Mayo Clinic and they're going to, they're going to send it to their lab and look at it just to be sure that I didn't miss anything. He said, because we can't find a tumor. We can't find any evidence of cancer there. And he said, we just have to be sure. And he said, and when I cut this layer out, he said, you're going to lose feeling all the way back your head. He said, it's going to cut a nerve and, and you're going to lose feeling uh, in the back of your head. Well, I'm thinking, Lord, you took care of the cancer. This is going to be a piece of cake. You're not going to, I'm not going to lose feeling. But sure enough, he went in and cut. And when he did, this washed right back over my head where I, I had no feeling at all in my head. And the doctor said, that's going to be permanent. And he said, I'm sorry, Rhea, but there's just no other way around it. And, and so we left that doctor's, appoint, that doctor's appointment. And I went back to work at Elmbrook, and, and I had this big patch on my forehead. And, and Pastor Rosalind saw me, and she said, Rhea, how did it go? And, and I said, oh, I told her the good news, no cancer. And I said, but the bad news is when he cut this, I lost feeling the whole way back my head. And, and, he, and she said, Rhea... God did not heal your cancer to give you nerve damage. And she plunked her hands on my head and she said, and she began to pray for healing. Dave, you were with me. He will testify to this. Ten minutes later, I got complete feeling back to my head. Complete feeling. I, I'm telling you, 
that to say that when Peter held his right hand out, he was confident in what he was doing. When Pastor Rosalind put her hands on my head, that woman was confident in what she was doing. She had no doubt that I was going to get feeling back. There was a confidence in what she did. And can I just tell you, that's what God is looking for. That kind of faith will move mountains. And when Peter handed him his right hand, there was no ifs, ands, or buts. I don't care if that man had never walked. Peter knew he was going to get up and walk. Oh, don't you want that kind of faith? I want that kind of faith that moves mountains. Taking him by the right hand. The man got up. His feet gained strength and he began to leap and shout and praise the Lord. You just love it. What has you crippled tonight? You say, well, Rhea, that's a really great story, but you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've had to endure. No, but I do know my Jesus. And I know what He is able to do. I know He is able to deliver. I don't care how ugly it was. I don't care how painful it was. Can I just tell you about my Jesus? He is able. You say, well, Rhea, I can't believe that. Well, here's my right hand. Here's my right hand. Let me help you. Let me pray for you because I do believe that with every ounce of my being. You see, some of you are listening to me preach and you're thinking, she is an absolute lunatic. Well, you don't understand. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And I have no time for religion. Can I just tell you, if this is not the real deal, if I can't be authentic, if, if he is not who he says he is and I don't see it played out in my life, I have no time for this, can I just tell you. But I am telling you, I preach the way I preach because I've seen what he is able to do. And he is able to deliver. I don't care how lost you are. Kylie, I don't care how lost you are. Look at that testimony. Look at that testimony. She has been delivered. She has been set free. But did you hear what she had to say? She said the addiction was the symptom. The mind was the problem. We've got to get our mind renewed. We've got to begin to understand what He says about us is truth. What He says He can do is truth. Do you believe it? One last story and then I'm going to pray for you. There's this man at church that Dave met. He came in a number of years ago and, and he was in bad shape. And um, Dave led him to the Lord and he had these tattoos on his arm. And I think they call them sleeves. Is that what they're called? You know, they were everywhere up his arm. I think he even had naked lady in it, didn't he? They, they, were, they were naughty. <laughs> and, and he came to Christ, and when he came to Christ, he came hard. And, and, and he, Dave, discipled him for a while, walked with him for a while. And one day he came into Dave's office and he said, Dave, I need to get rid of these tattoos. And Dave's like, oh, come on, no big deal. That's not who you are. You're a new creation. That's all gone. This doesn't define you. It really doesn't matter. And he's like, but it matters to me. I want to get rid of these tattoos. And, and so he couldn't find anybody to do it. It was very, very expensive. And so I believe a doctor, I might be wrong about this detail, but I believe a doctor at Elmbrook agreed to do this free of charge. And, and he agreed to remove these tattoos for him. And, and so I was intrigued by this when I was working on this sermon because you see, what, what really gets me is that, that tattoo story in the beginning and how this woman chose to permanently mark herself with an outward reminder of the pain that she carried inwardly. And I began to think how we tattoo ourselves. We, we tattoo our memories. We, we make a permanent etching in our mind about what we lived through, what we had to endure, everything that was said to us and done to us. And it marks us. And, and I, I want to believe that we can really get rid of that. And so I happened to see this fella at church a, a while ago. And, and I went up to him and I said, you know, could I, could I just take a look at your arms? And he looked at me like, what are you talking about? And I said, let me tell you the, this, the sermon I'm going to preach. 
And I said, you see, I'm going to talk about the things that, that, that tattoo our life and the things that permanently mark our life. And, and, and I just need to know, is there any trace of those tattoos still on your arms? And, and he said, oh, Rhea. And he rolled up his sleeve and he showed me. And his arm was like a baby's arm. It's, the skin was just as soft as could be. And there was absolutely no trace of that tattoo on his arm. It was a sleeve. It was completely full at one point. And there was no trace of the tattoo on his arm. And I thought, oh, I just wish I could take him on the road with me. I wish I could say to people, this is what God is able to do. He can make it clean. He can wash it clean. He can bring healing and wholeness and restoration so that there is no trace of the memory. Oh, Leslie, find that scripture. Uh, no trace of the supremacy. Where is that at? Find it in the, in the, it's in the Amplified. Um, powerless ghost. Look that up quickly. Uh, but there's a scripture. I just want to close with this scripture because I, I want you to get this, that he is able to deliver. Church, hear me say this. If he can't fix what's broken in your life, you do not want to serve him. He is not Lord of all. I don't care what it is. I don't care how painful it was. I don't care how much it's marked you and how hopeless you feel because of it. Let me just tell you about my Jesus. He is able to deliver. He is able. He is God and absolutely nothing is impossible for Him. Nothing is impossible. This is Isaiah 26, verse 14 in the Amplified. Don't even turn there. Let me just read it to you because it's just good stuff. O Lord, our God, other masters besides you have rolled over us. Hear that. O Lord, our God, other masters besides you have rolled over us. Can I just tell you that some of you are sitting here tonight and you have declared Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You say that He is the master of your life, but there are other masters that are ruling over you. Trust me, if you're here and you struggle with anxiety, that's a master that's ruling over you. If you're here and you struggle with worry and fear, that's a master that's ruling over you. If you're here and you worry about perfectionism or, or what people think about you, that's a master that's ruling over you. He says, O Lord, our God, other masters besides you have ruled over us, but we will acknowledge and mention your name only. They, the former tyrant masters, oh, ask Kylie, heroin was a tyrant master for her. They, the former tyrant masters, are dead. They shall not live and reappear. They are powerless ghosts. They shall not rise and come back. Therefore you have visited and made an end of them and caused every memory of, their, of them, every trace of their supremacy to perish. Oh, I, I just need to read that to you again. Therefore you have visited and made an end. Somebody say an end. He made an end to them and caused every memory of them. Some of you need to hear that because you've got a memory of something that happened to you maybe when you were a little child. Can I just tell you that He can make every memory of them disappear, every trace of their supremacy to perish. Oh, is that just good or what? Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea, or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website, www.snowdropministries.com, or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both encouraged and challenged 
to go deeper and grow stronger in your walk with Christ.